You want to go ahead and read the thing? Oh, I'm, I'm here for the thing today. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> it sounds like something out of an 80s action movie, except the protagonist of this story would be the bad guy in a Schwarzenegger, Stallone, or Chuck Norris flick. A man had fallen to his death, leaping from a small plane loaded down with cocaine, killed when his parachute failed to open. And the parachuting drug smuggler seemed to have seen himself as an action movie character. When he died, he was wearing a bulletproof vest, night vision goggles, and armed with two pistols, a knife, rations, and wilderness survival gear. Oh, and a duffel bag full of cocaine. He was described by those who knew him as a macho, soldier of fortune type, someone who had thrived on excitement or murder. The final twist of this story involves another duffel bag of cocaine and the unfortunate black bear that discovered it. This is a story of Reagan-era drug excesses, of privilege and wealth, greed and violence, and the black bear that got caught up in the wake of the last ride of Kentucky's drug-smuggling kingpin. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the story of Cocaine Bear. most ridiculous <laughs> thing we've ever said on this podcast that was amazing and i respect you <laughs> congratulations uh, you have truly leveled up with this one welcome to relative disasters the show where my sister and i manage our existential dread uh by talking about terrible and interesting historical events their context implications and any related sidebars we get distracted with i'm greg Ursine Taxidermy Specialist here at Relative Disasters Incorporated. And I'm his sister Ella. I'm the head of Dopamine Receptor Studies here at Relative Disasters Research Hospital. A lot of cocaine at my job. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Imagine. No bears. No bears, though. That's, that's too bad. You're lacking. You're lacking something. <laughs> this story has a bear. This story has so much bear. <laughs> I'm a little afraid of how much bear this story has. All right. So, background, uh, let's talk about cocaine. So, cocaine is obtained from the leaves of the coca plant. In chemical mm -hmm. terms, it is a tropane alkaloid. In medical terms, it is a stimulant drug. In uh, party terms, it's a real good time. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, As we know from... Uh, every 80s movie ever. <laughs> I was just trying to pick one and I couldn't. There are so many. <laughs> There's too many. Uh, the Andean civilizations of modern-day Peru, Argentina, Chile, and Colombia used to chew this leaf as part of daily life. When Ooh. the Spanish invaded and colonized South America, they first tried to ban the coca leaf, then they had to settle for taxing it because people, like, just couldn't function without their coca leaf. Yeah. Uh, the use of the coca leaf for pain relief and relaxation was documented by the Spanish in 1569 by one of their botanists. So this has been around for a while. Now... Uh. Cocaine was first refined in the mid-1800s, and it was being used medically by the 1870s. Quick, horrifying sidebar. Please. Uh, so one of the experiments was done by Carl Kohler, mm -hmm. who was a German uh, scientist who was buddies with Freud. He applied a cocaine solution to one of his eyes and then decided it would be instructive to poke his eyeball with pins. Uh-huh. What is wrong with you? That's a weird kink. I don't. I, I don't want I'm to shame anyone. That. No. But mm -mm. that would be a don't deal do that. <laughs> Anything having to do with eyeballs and, and poking, pins, right? 
You know, I'm actually okay with the cocaine on the eyeball. I don't I don't like the poking. <laughs> sure, sure, why not? Sure. Uh, okay. What did he find out, does it uh, say? He found out that he didn't feel the pain when he shoved a needle in his eye after rubbing a bunch of cocaine into it. How did he feel later? Afterwards? I'm guessing in a lot of pain, my dude. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, cocaine started to be used as an anesthetic in the 1880s. It was sure. used for spinal injuries and epidurals. So that's hey, fun. I had one of those. It was great. <laughs> Huge fan of epidurals. Ladies, Ladies, if you haven't tried them, you gotta. <laughs> uh, so cocaine also became the hip new thing to add to other products to give them that little kick they needed. Uh, they started Ooh. mixing cocaine into wine toothpaste, cigarettes, shampoo, and most famously, <laughs> Coca-Cola. I just, I can't, sorry. Can yeah, you back the up shampoo, a minute? The shampoo. The shampoo? I know. Yep. Was there a, a reason for that? Yeah. It made Is your it hair luxurious your hair? <laughs> and got you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They, they put cocaine in shampoo uh, to make your hair luxurious and you very relaxed. What do you mean by luxurious? I have no idea. That I just okay. read the ad copy on these things, which are all like late 1800s, early 1900s ad copies. Oh, like the hilarious. full paragraph. Of... Oh, yeah. Okay. We have four physicians that will claim that rubbing cocaine into your <laughs> scalp is good for you. I only need three. Right? Uh, let's see. So cocaine tablets were available for pain relief from neighborhood drugstores. And they still should be, I think. A nice uh, cocaine tablet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you there. Uh, they should only come in packages of one, and you should <laughs> you should have a really good reason for needing them. We're actually going to talk about why cocaine is like one of the worst drugs in a bit, but oh, uh, I thought it was one of the good ones. No, it's... cocaine's one of the bad ones. Okay, but it's not addictive, right? It's incredibly addictive. Well, geez, it literally rewrites how the pleasure centers and responses of your brain work. First, my bubble. I'm so sorry. Cocaine is extremely addictive. From the very first time it's used, you start developing a tolerance for it, and you need to have larger doses to have the same effect that the original dose had. And well, I guess that would explain why it was tacked so aggressively. Yep. Uh, it's also really, really bad for your heart. No, I don't believe that. <laughs> you get heart attacks, strokes, arrhythmia, heart failure... And not to mention that since it's an illegal, unregulated substance, your mm -hmm. local neighborhood dealer has cut it with stuff ranging from sugar or cornstarch to industrial cleaners. Fun! Uh, both Shackleton and Scott's expeditions to the South Pole carried them along. So yeah, that's they fun. did. And, however, by the 1930s, people started to realize that cocaine was not a great benefit to society at large. However... Cocaine bad, but super profitable, especially in the 1980s. Oh, hey, yeah. We yep. got uh, Patrick Bateman running around. Yep. We got Gordon Gecko running around. Yep. Oh, yeah. And we've got Reagan up there with drugs are bad, but... Quick sidebar. Do you yeah. remember D-A-R-E classes? Dare? Did they oh, skip yeah. your... Oh, no. Your... No, oh, we okay. had Dare, man. We had Dare. It was, it was a hoot. You had a drunk police officer walk into your school. Did they tell you about the evils of cocaine? Yes, they, they talked about cocaine, but they focused, uh, like, a real lot on marijuana, which was like, if you're comparing the two of them and being like, these are both really bad drugs that'll kill mm -hmm. you, um, nope. Well, that was my takeaway, Just too, nope. that marijuana was incredibly bad. Cocaine oh, yes. was, like, slightly more wholesome because you weren't smoking <laughs> it. <laughs> 
Yes. Yes, that's exactly what they would tell us. <laughs> you were well, you it see, into your if eyeball. you snort it up your nose or inject it straight into your heart, it's not as bad as smoking it. It's like, yeah, Good times. okay. Oh, the 80s were rough. The 80s were wild, my dudes. I don't think, wild, I don't think uh, <laughs> younger people really appreciate the, the things we went through. Oh, I'm so glad they don't have to appreciate the things we went through. <laughs> That's the whole point of, like, every generation. It's like, you know that you know that whole argument of, like, you know, oh, you guys have it so much easier than we do. Yeah, that's the point. You want to have, you want to make the next generation have things easier than you had it. Anyway. Not me. No, no, absolutely. No. We, I want to have the best childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone who comes after me to have a yep. slightly worse childhood. Yep, yep. That's how it works. <laughs> so I get the medal at the end. Okay. So speaking of dare, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, in modern times... Cocaine is the second most used recreational drug behind marijuana. Now, really? there is a drop-off, especially since the legalization of marijuana. But yeah, mm-hmm. and 50% of all cocaine that is used uh, is used here in the U.S. No way! Yep. We use we half are number the one. cocaine. By a lot. Uh, the next closest is actually Australia. Really? So Not Colombia? Nope. No. Australia. Well, shout yep. out to our, our listeners. Our Australian and listeners. Yeah, exactly. Um, so How's powder- the cocaine down there? <laughs> Do you snort it backwards? <laughs> no. Uh, so, <laughs> so powdered cocaine is usually viewed as a status symbol in upper class or wealth. While sure. It's very expensive. Do you know how expensive it is? Uh, it is expensive. While crack cocaine is usually associated with the poorer classes and targeted towards minority populations. Uh, interesting fun fact about mm-hmm. uh, about the difference between crack and cocaine. Are you familiar with mandatory minimums laws? Yes, depressingly. Yes, I am. they suck. Uh, mandatory minimum is usually four to five times the minimum sentence for crack uh, as it is for cocaine. I.e., if you get caught with the exact same amount of crack as somebody else gets caught with cocaine, you will do five times their sentence. So that's. I wonder who fun. came up with that. that. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, man. We'll never hmm. know. Well. However, law enforcement data shows that cocaine has actually no wealth, racial, or class distinctions. Really? Um, yeah. Now, hmm. the use of cocaine has fallen off since the 1980s, thank goodness. Yeah, I thought it was pretty passe now. Uh, now we have more fun drugs. However, cocaine is still killing people. In the year 2020, 5.2 million Americans used cocaine. That is 1.9% of our population. Uh, with about 19,500 people dying from it last year. Oh, man. That's yep. much higher than I thought. Yeah, me too. I was like, eh, you know, maybe 1,000, maybe 2,000. Nope, 19,500. Listeners, please don't do cocaine. Yeah, just, uh, it's not worth it, man. And And... The problem with cocaine is that it's the classic chasing the high drug. As soon as you have it, you will never get that initial high again, and then your heart explodes, and it's just not worth it. So, how does that cocaine wind up in a bear? Oh, boy. For this part of the story, we need to learn about Andrew Carter Thornton II. That's not, a cocaine name if that I is ever a heard cocaine one. Name, <laughs> especially because... Not Junior, just to be clear. It is the Roman numeral two after his name. So he, he must be named after, like, somebody who came before his father. All right. All right. So this guy, this guy, 
This guy is every overprivileged dude who decides he needs to be a tough guy and spends the rest of his life trying to prove that he is. Like, I've known too many of this dude. Okay. I just want to know about the bear. We're going to get to the bear. We'll get there when we get there. Okay. All right. So Thornton was raised on a thoroughbred horse stud farm in Bourbon County, Kentucky. I'm, Say I'm, no more. I'm not going to go into too much detail on his family out of respect for their privacy. All the mm-hmm. information's out there in news articles, dear listeners, if you're really interested, but please leave them alone. Suffice it to say, he comes from wealth and privilege, okay? Mm-hmm. He went mm-hmm. to a very expensive private elementary school and continued on to another private high school. He dropped out of college to join the military and was apparently trained as a paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne. When Hmm. the U.S. invaded the Dominican Republic in 1965, he received a Purple Heart for being wounded in combat and transitioned out of the army. Really? Yep. He tried college again in 1966, but dropped out after a year returning to his dad's horse stud farm. And in 1968, he joined the Lexington, Kentucky Police Department. Okay. So there are those who become police officers because they want to uphold the law and keep their fellow citizens safe. And there are those who become police officers because they're bullies who want to have a badge to sanction their bullying. Drew Thornton seemingly became a police officer because he needed a thrill. Okay? Oh, that's not a healthy thing. Everybody who talks about him is like, oh yeah, dude was a thrill seeker. It's it's overwhelming, the number of people who are like, he was always just, you know... He seems to have seen himself literally as like an action movie star. It's it's bizarre. His early days on the force were spent arresting Vietnam War protesting college students. Oh, boy. Yep. Okay. And then he moved into the department's very first narcotics squad, working closely with the DEA. Fun. Oh, yeah. I have a quote from his ex-wife. Uh, she described him as, quote, he went onto the police force to do battle, end quote. Oh. They had married in 1968. Just before he became a cop, they divorced in 1970. But apparently okay. remained friends, so okay. Hmm. So Thornton quit the police and did a bunch of illegal stuff, which I'm not going to get into here because... Whoa, whoa, whoa. How long was he a police officer? He was a police officer for about eight or nine years. Uh, okay. He quit in 1977. Hmm. He was involved in a bunch of stuff. He was involved in, like... A group of people who tried to steal guns from a naval base. But we're going to just focus on the drug smuggling, which he had apparently (laughs) begun while he was a narcotics officer. So, great. This guy sounds like a real multitasker. (laughs) He's he's sketchy as all get out. Okay. All right. So he had a successful smuggling operation using Mm -hmm. a new method called parasmuggling. All right. With the parachutes. Yes. All right. So the DEA knew that the main method of smuggling drugs, especially marijuana and cocaine, into the U.S. was through air travel. Right. So this became like this like game of one-upsmanship here. So they introduced drug-sniffing dogs to the airports. So the smugglers Mm -hmm. buy their own planes and start using smaller airstrips. Right. So the DEA starts to monitor the smaller airstrips. So the smugglers get a new tactic. They set out infrared beacons over a drop area, fly over it, and drop duffel bags with infrared lights and radio transponders out of their planes, full of whatever drug they're smuggling. Okay. Yeah. And now, if they want to land the plane and be able to pass customs, what they did is they kept the doors and windows open to blow out all the last traces of the cocaine, like, while they're flying. 
which is mm-hmm. super dangerous. Or they do what Thornton did, which is they parachute out themselves and let the plane just crash where it may, okay? They lose, uh, like, a a $500,000 plane, but since they just smuggled in $40 million of cocaine, they're fine with that. Cost of doing business. This was actually such a problem that uh, one of the the Air Force people who was trying to combat this described it as, like, an epidemic of airborne missiles. Because you literally have planes with nobody flying them. Right. That sounds... It's super dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Okay. This Are they guy, doing this like over water or over They're doing this area? over populated areas. They're trying to drop the drugs into places that aren't super populated for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. But the plane's just going to crash where the plane's going to crash. Right. And it is a miracle that they didn't hit residential neighborhoods. So hmm. now we'll never know how many successful parasmuggling drops Thornton made, but he had... A ton of money when he when he died, and the sophistication of his methods tell us that this was not his first rodeo. Okay. All right. So we come to September tenth, nineteen eighty-five. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. Is he doing any of this cocaine, or is he just selling it? You know, I don't. I could not find that out. Generally, it's. I mean, from what I understand. It's considered a bad idea to, you know, sample your own product. But also, from what I understand, mm-hmm. a lot of these dudes were coke fiends anyway. So I have no idea. Okay. There was not a lot of information on his personal use of cocaine. There was a mm-hmm. lot of information on him being kind of a paranoid dude. But, you know, who knows? Maybe it was because he was doing super illegal stuff. All right. So we come to September 10th, 1985. All right. All right. So Drew Thornton picks up a load of nearly 300 pounds of cocaine in Colombia. Jeez. Yep. And flies back to the United States. Now, while he's over northern Georgia, he drops out most of his load, about 200 pounds of it, and put the rest of his cargo into a duffel bag and made his parachute jump over Tennessee. Okay, so he drops a bag full of cocaine and then he takes a second bag out with him in the parachute? He drops one or two bags out and then he carries a bag out with him in his parachute, yes. Okay, gotcha. Uh, But he never makes it home to Kentucky. He either got caught in the parachute or it failed to open, but either way, he landed in a residential driveway in Knoxville, Tennessee, dying instantly on impact. Oh, geez, those poor people. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine, like, you sip your morning coffee, you look outside, and there's a dead dude with a parachute in your driveway. Yeah. Not cool. At the time of his death, he was wearing a bulletproof vest, Mm -hmm. night vision goggles. He was carrying a 9mm pistol, a 22 caliber pistol, clips of ammunition, a knife, survival gear and rations, $4,500 in cash, a bunch of gold Krugerrands. Of course, yeah. Some different fake IDs and the key to his airplane. Also, a nice little touch for you. He was mm-hmm. wearing Gucci loafers. See, this guy sounds fun. This guy sounds terrifying. He's obviously a planner. <laughs> he's a, he's I, no. I would not. This is not somebody I would ever want to invite over for a cookout. You know what I mean? Now, like, what is, what is the thinking behind survival gear and Gucci loafers? Maybe they're the only shoes. Are you aware of why Gucci loafers are so expensive? 
they're made with like baby seals or something, right? They're handmade and they take a long time to make and they're very beautiful, but they're sure. not like survival shoes. Like yeah. it sounds from from the from the ankles up, it sounds like he's parachuting into like a survival, like a wilderness yeah, survival yeah, yeah. situation. But then he's got the Gucci loafers. Which is kind of why this guy really struck me as sort of like a tryhard tough guy. And apparently, like, when he was a cop, there was a lot of, like, stuff where he got hits put out him by the mafia or something. But, mm-hmm. but like, how much of that is real and how much of that is just him telling stories, we don't know. So, I don't know, man. Yeah. It really bothers me. Okay. The Gucci loafers. It really, really bothers me. The duffel bag he was carrying with him had 77 pounds of cocaine in it, worth about $15 million. Oh, boy. And the key to his airplane was how they identified the plane, which had crashed into a mountain in Hayesville, North Carolina. All right. But what about the cocaine he dumped? The 200 pounds. With nobody to go pick it up, the duffel bags just sat in the woods of northern Georgia until one of them was discovered by a 175-pound American black bear. Okay. Uh, Yep. From my understanding, black yep. bears eat berries and yes. hikers, mostly? No. They, they actually don't. They're not terribly aggressive. The American black bear, uh, I mean, obviously it's a bear. Don't mess with it. But it's, it's a bear like, with teeth, yeah. It's a bear with teeth and claws, yes. Um, but they are, while they are omnivores, they tend to prey on small animals and mostly subsist on, like, berries and roots and nuts these are the bears that get into your trash yeah these are the bears that get into your trash not the ones that like go out and murder you while you're hiking yeah the bears are a big fear of mine Uh, uh, that's fine i mean bears bears should be way up there on people's list of animals to avoid if they see them in the woods but uh but a black bear not terribly aggressive usually uh but this fella this fella well in November of 1985, so basically three months after three months after Thornton had crashed into the driveway, the driveway, well, two months or so, a hunter found the bear's body. The bear had gotten into the cocaine. Okay. And for about four or five minutes, that was the most terrifying apex predator on the planet. I mean, can you imagine a coked out bear? Like he ate the cocaine? He ate some of it. It's very unlikely that the bear ate all of it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's a full meal for anyone. (laughs) 75 pounds is a lot. The bear had died very quickly, and the rest of the cocaine was gone. There may have been some weather that could have destroyed the coke, or somebody could have just kind of walked off with it. Well, they would have taken the bear in that case. No, they would have left the bear. Free bear, free cocaine, yeah. (laughs) Um, Do we know how the bear died? Yes, it died of cocaine, Ella. It... (laughs) It died of cocaine. Cause of death, cocaine. Cocaine. Uh, I actually have a quote from the medical examiner of the Georgia mm-hmm. Bureau of Investigation. So his job was to, you know, perform autopsies on people. But every once mm-hmm. in a while, they would get a drug case where he needed to perform an, a necropsy on an animal. This is the quote about this bear. <clears throat> okay. Quote. Its stomach was literally packed to the brim with cocaine. Oh! There isn't a mammal on the planet that could survive that. 
cerebral hemorrhaging, <laughs> respiratory failure, hyperthermia, renal failure, heart failure, stroke, you name it, that bear had it, end quote. I am starting to feel sorry for this bear. That sounds I really, really painful and horrible. Well, I mean, actually, if well, it's cocaine, it probably is it wasn't painful? that painful. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But then his heart exploded, you know? I mean, like, yeah. that's awful. I don't love it. I no, don't love it. But at even least though I'm not was, a bear fan. It was quick. Uh, we, we definitely know it was quick. Sure. So now we pick up the saga of Cocaine Bear itself and the, mm-hmm. uh, the wonderful folks that I got to speak with at the Kentucky for Kentucky store. They are not a sponsor. I just really like how they went the extra mile for this. So Okay, and what do they have to do with this story? I am about we to We were get in Georgia. Into... Okay. No, no, we're in Kentucky. The bear died in Georgia. The bear died right? in Georgia, but Thornton the Georgia was Bureau of from Investigation. Kentucky. Okay. So... The bear, the the bear is sort of godfather to Kentucky. Let's let's leave it at that. So, <laughs> the bear is. <laughs> what do you call it when someone is extracted from the extradited? Extradited. That's the one. <laughs> the, the bear, bear is was extradited. extradited. <laughs> All right. So, Kentucky for Kentucky is a company in Lexington, uh, Kentucky, who celebrate the wonderfulness of their state, and they wanted to know more about this rail ripping bear. Uh, I mean, they, we all do, they, right? So they started by reaching out to uh, the medical examiner that we just quoted from the Georgia Mm -hmm. Bureau of Investigation. He had since retired, uh, but Cocaine Bear wasn't something he was, you know, going to forget. So after he had finished his necropsy, the bear's body was in okay cosmetic shape. You know, its insides were liquefied, but... And rather than just have it cremated, Mm -hmm. the medical examiner contacted a friend of his who does taxidermy. So the bear was stuffed and gifted to the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area where it was put on display. As what? As a displayed taxidermied bear. They didn't like put up a sign that's like, this bear snorted a bunch of cocaine. (laughs) But uh, so it was just like a taxidermied bear in the, you know, in the recreation area. So in the early 1990s, though, a wildfire sweeps through the area and the park employees had to evacuate the facilities. So they put Mm. the bear into storage in a nearby town. But when they went back a month later, it and a lot of other stuff they'd stored was gone. Oh, dear. Some of the items turned up in a Nashville, Tennessee pawn shop. Now, when pressed, the pawn shop owner admitted that he had sold it. Mm -hmm. Here's the swing. To country musician Waylon Jennings. Oh, no. Oh, yes. So, Waylon? Waylon Jennings. Now, did you get the provenance on that bear? He did not. And if and he has st- said that if he'd known it was stolen, he wouldn't have bought it. Uh, but the bear was already gone to Las Vegas, given to a friend of Jennings. Wait, why don't my friends ever buy me... A taxidermy bear? I don't know. Taxidermy cocaine bears. I don't know. I don't know. I think you need better friends. I... That's... So at this point, the park's people just give up. It, it's a taxidermy right. bear. We don't care enough. But you know who doesn't give up? The people from <laughs> Kentucky for Kentucky. So uh, the man that Jennings had gifted the bear to had died, and his estate was sold at auction. Uh-huh. So the Kentucky for Kentucky people reach out to the auction house, get a copy of the manifest, find the entry for the bear, and reach out to the new owner. But he had since passed away. However, cursed. his wife didn't like the taxidermied bear. No. And just for the cost of shipping, Cocaine Bear was sent back to Kentucky. He now stands in a place of honor in the Kentucky for Kentucky store. 
and they offer a range of cocaine bear merchandise, none of which particularly appeals to me, but it's neat stuff, and they affectionately nicknamed him Pablo Escobar. That's terrible. That's great. I love a pun. That is like next level terrible pun. That's next level terrible pun right there. Uh, I respect it. I don't love it. So, So that's it. That's the that's the story of an overprivileged drug smuggler and a bear who had a rager on his last smuggling drop. That is the tale of Cocaine Bear. This ties into so many of my fears. We've got things <laughs> falling from the sky. Yes, yes. We've got bears on cocaine. On, on cocaine, yep, yep. And we've got, you know, a dude with six guns lying in a driveway. Yeah, yeah, with like a parachute just sort of flapping in the wind around him. Around his little Gucci loafers. Yeah, it's not it's not a great It's just there's so much to unpack with this story. Right? It it is a wild story and and interestingly enough, uh, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Banks is making a film about it. Really? It should be out sometime in 2023, I think. Uh, a romantic comedy that is going to be just called Cocaine Bear. No, I'm I'm assuming it's going to be more of a thriller or a comedy. Who the hell knows? I'm not sure where I would go with that story if I, I would, was in charge of writing that as a movie. I mean, <laughs> you could take it in yeah. so many different directions. You can either do a horror movie about a cooked up bear stumbling around the woods. Oh God, nightmare material. <laughs> or or you can do a thriller movie about Andrew Carter Thornton the second. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the bear is just sort of the uh, the cultural attache at that point. Uh, collateral damage, I think. is Also collateral damage, yes. Yeah, I got to feel bad for the bear. This, this did I not feel bad well for, the bear for anyone, too. but no. the bear was really a pretty innocent The bear was an innocent was in this, exactly. A bear and uh, scary. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, given given the choice between Andrew Thornton II and uh, and the bear, I, my, my, I vote for the bear. I hope I hope that uh, I hope he at least enjoyed his last couple of minutes on the planet. <laughs> that had to have been just so strange. He's eaten all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, right. And then he's like, "Well, I wonder what this stuff is." And then, oh, my heart's exploding, but I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> that bear Poor is guy. haunting, haunting Poor the guy. forest. Yep. All right, yeah. uh, that is. It's a little wild. Not what tale. I expected. No. Very 80s. It is so 80s. It is absolutely the most... It's just got that that nice overtone of the weird tone of the Reagan drug hysteria. I was just going to say a real Reagan flavor to the... It's weird. (laughs) To the story. Uh, But that is... That's a bizarre story. A truly wild story. (laughs) Truly wild. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. It's, it's It's a fairly short tale because, you know... Yeah, I mean, I do like how neatly it's tied up at the end. You don't have any, like, uh, extra jugs floating around. The bear, we know where the bear is. The bear didn't disappear. Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, the drugs... Not a lot of loose ends there. The only big loose end uh, mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that it is highly unlikely the bear ingested all of that cocaine. So somebody walked through those woods, found a dead bear, found a duffel bag of cocaine, and more than likely took off with it. yeah. Or but, it rained. Or it know? rained. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, there's definitely Maybe that. they just had like a little cocaine puddle for a little while and then it just... <laughs> a bunch of frogs that also back went to the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there are cocaine frogs out there we don't know about. That's the sequel to Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Cocaine Bear 2. 
the riveting. <laughs> this time they're hopping mad. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Well, thanks for that nightmare fuel. <laughs> I am to please. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to shame us publicly, use our Instagram at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Uh, we're actually doing Reader's Suggestion next week. Ooh, this ooh, comes from ooh. our dear listener, Daniel, who suggested okay. that we get into the 1955 crash at uh, the Le Mans yep. Endurance Race. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so we'll be discussing the deadliest accident in motorsports racing history. Yep. Yep. That's an ugly one, but uh, fascinating it's... for what the, the both the causes and the physics of it. Yeah, and uh, some actually some interesting things came out of it. Oh, so yeah, So we absolutely. had a lot of, uh, for instance, race car drivers now wear seatbelts. <laughs> Which is just one of those things you kind of think about is like, of course they wear seatbelts. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. <laughs>